All right, so uh, New Life Christian Ministries is founded on eight principles, life and rest. The whole reason you go to church is so that you can be made a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, not only do we desire that you become disciples of Jesus Christ, but also you have the, uh, be given the ability to make a disciple, okay? And the way that this happens is that God has given us life and rest. Can you say life and rest? My goal and the goal of leadership here is to teach you how to live a life of rest. So these four words spell life, those four words spell rest. The first thing we teach you or you need to know is all about love. Can you say love? Love is a four-part cycle. The first step of love is that you must know that God loves you. The second part of love is that you have to know how to love God back. We know that God loves us because he sent his son to die for us. And the way that we love God back is by obeying his commands that he has for us. The third part of love is loving the new you. Can you say this with me? I love the new me. You see, the new you is who Christ has created you to be. The new you is righteous. The new you is good. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of who Jesus Christ has made you to be now. And then the final stage of love is learning to love others the way that you love yourself. You have food, you have clothing, you have the goodness of God, and you should have a passion for others to know that goodness that you know as well. Identity. There is a BCU and there is an ADU. There's a BC, a before Christ. Before you knew Christ, you were a wicked person. We were all born wicked. So I'm not just calling you wicked. We were all wicked. But AD, after death, after we picked up our cross to deny ourselves and become like Christ, we became Christians and Christ-like. So we have two identities. One passes away and one rises to the top because Christ lives in us. The next thing that we must have is faith. Can you say faith? Faith is a supernatural ability to believe God's word. So we've been given the measure of faith so that we can please him. And then finally, we all have an eternal purpose. So before you came to this world, God knew you. While you live in this world, God knows you. And when you go on to be with God forever, he will know you still and you have a purpose the entire time. Next, that's our relationship with God. He's given us new life, okay? So we have a new relationship with God, and this is all about discipleship, the rest. This is how we follow God, by resting. There is a rest that God wants us to enter by faith. To rest means to cease from your own activity and allow God to lead your life, allow God to be in control. So the way that we answer this rest is number one, the R is for revelation. That is what did God say in his word and what is God currently saying to me now the E is for empowerment you see you've got that faith over there when you hear God's word the revelation you are empowered inside to believe it and without a doubt no matter what the circumstances are you have the ability to believe God because you've been empowered by his word because there is a reaction that happens when God's word is spoken by him and then the measure of faith that he's given you when they have a reaction there's power power on the inside because you believe you're God. The next thing that happens is strategy. God will tell you what to do. Many of you are worn out because you're strategizing without God. But when you have rest, you can chill and you can relax and you can say, God's got this and he will show me exactly what he wants me to do. And that's strategy. But you have to be obedient to the strategy to a T. You can't half obey God. If God says march around the wall seven times, you don't do five and a half or the wall still stand in your life. And then finally, triumph. The result of the life that God has given us in him and following after him through his word and rest is triumph. That we share his same glory and we are able to celebrate the goodness of God because we were obedient sons and daughters. That's not the sermon, that is a teaser. You're very welcome. Was that a good appetizer? Was that delicious? Amen.
All right, so today's sermon is entitled The Spiritual Life. That's the name of the series we're in. And the particular message we'll be talking about today is learning to be led. Okay, because the only way that we are spiritual is if we are led by the Spirit. Now, listen, everybody is spiritual, but not everybody is led by the right Spirit. Because there's some wrong spirits out there, all right? And they're, they're highly visible to those of us that have the Holy Spirit. I can even see the wrong spirits working wherever I am. I can see them, even in the building, okay? Because when you have the right spirit, you're able to recognize the wrong spirit, okay? Um, I'm teaching you to be more spiritual by saying that we have to die to our own desires and our own nature, our old self, and be led by God because he knows where he's going, you don't. You know what seems to be right, but you don't know what is absolutely right, so you must ask God to lead you. And if we didn't need lead, he would have not sent his Holy Spirit on this earth to give us the instructions that we need to follow him. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Without the leading of God, we go to hell because we've got, we want nothing to do with him. We are our own God. We are in control. Um, we have a responsibility to follow him and teach others to follow him. If I don't teach my children to follow God, then they'll be lost. They don't get in on my righteousness. The only way anybody gets to heaven is on, is on Jesus Christ's righteousness that he's given us as a gift. And that is the only way to get to heaven. And he loves us, and he loves us so much that he didn't lead us without comfort. He desired that we have another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. So in order to be spiritual, we must be led by the Holy Spirit. So this lesson that we're going to learn today will teach us how to be led, and then we'll go deeper into what that looks like in later sermon. So God has the whole heart of those who fully trust him. These are his true children. They are the ones that are led by the Holy Spirit. So if we are to be the children of God, that means that we are led by God and we are led by his spirit. If God has the ability to talk to you and to lead you and you have the ability and the desire to obey him, it means that you are a child of God. However, from the very beginning, Satan has had a strategy to separate men from God because we are God's creation. And in the garden, everything was going perfect, okay? Everything was good. There was no sin. There was not even a knowledge of sin. All we knew was God. Adam knew God. Eve knew God. They walked with him in the cool of the day. But Satan, while he was, he was, because he was evicted from heaven with a third of the angels and he was cast to the earth. So Satan was here even during when the garden was here. And it was his desire to break fellowship, okay? Just like he had broken fellowship with God. His desire was to break men's fellowship with God. So he had a strategy to separate men from God. We came from God, so we should have an innate desire to follow God. But Satan, the G-O-D, little G-O-D of this world, he wants his own followers. And on, in order to have his own followers, he must break your fellowship with God. And here's the strategy that he uses. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Let's park right there. Some of you, um, some of you have some spiritual warfare that includes the enemy talking to you and putting thoughts in your head, okay? Uh, and I've been there before. That's the, way he, that's the way he tries to communicate with us. He can't make us sin, but he can influence us to sin. I'll say it again. You can never blame your sin on the devil. You chose to sin. However, he does influence us to sin, okay? And what we must learn to do is not talk back to him. Why are you having conversations in your head with the enemy? What you need to do is rebuke him immediately, did Jesus talk to Satan while Satan was influencing Peter, um, have a conversation with him? No, he had a command. Say this with me. I will not conversate. I will command. So Jesus said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And he had to flee. 
We don't conversate with the enemy because he's not, he's not at our level. And actually, to even talk to the devil, you got to move your foot a little bit off of his head so his ear will open up because he's supposed to be under your feet. And you command him, hey, you flee, you get out of here, all right? And it's not that we have authority in and of ourselves, but Christ lives on the inside of us and we share authority with him. We're seated with Christ right now, even in heavenly places. So we've got authority over the enemy that needs to be exercised. So if you communicate with the enemy, it's almost like you are in negotiations, If you communicate with the enemy, it's almost like you're saying, well, you know, I I respect your authority. I respect your power. I believe that you've got the ability to do whatever you're scaring me with right now. No, he does not. Only if you let him. So we don't conversate with the enemy. We command the enemy and he must flee. The Bible says that if we, um, let me humble ourselves before God, resist the enemy, that he will flee. Amen. Amen. So let's keep going here. So did God really say? All right. So there's that twisted truth. The enemy came to twist the truth. So this is one of the first thing he began to do when he desired to separate man from the leadership of God. Did he really say you must not eat the fruit of any trees in the garden? And Eve responded. She's communicating. If if she would have done what I'm trying to teach you to do right now, which is not communicate with the enemy, but command and say, you know what? Get out of here, you lying fool. You've got no ability. You've got no power over me. I rebuke you. Leave now. Father, where are you? This, this devil's messing with me. Come beat him up. Come get him, God. But she communicated with the enemy. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, here's what God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And the enemy came back immediately with, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the first thing the devil did was make Eve question God. Did God really say? So when the enemy is coming against the children of God, those that follow God, what he's going to first try to do is twist the command, twist your uh, instructions that you've been given by God to make you think, well, did he really say that? The second thing he did was directly oppose God's word. There was an effort to convince her there was no danger of dying in disobedience. So he made the devil made disobedience appear to be safe. The devil made sin appear to be safe, like it won't cost you your life. And I'm here to promise you that God's word is true. And he said that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So that it's the devil's job to make you feel comfortable in sin and say, this won't kill me. This won't kill me at all. I'm safe doing this thing. And that was the enemy beginning to convince her and take the sting away from sin. The third thing he did was convince her that God knew that he was withholding something good from her that would make her more godlike. So he tried to convince her, who was already made in the image of God, that God was withholding something good from her that would make her more godly. He made her look at herself and say, I'm not godly enough. Although she already had God and was made in the image of God, the devil came to separate her from the leadership of God by saying, God is keeping something from you. And listen, this is the same thing that leads many of us into sin. We think that God is withholding something from us, so we go looking for it ourselves. And it's the enemy that is fueling that search because we need to know that we are complete in God. One of the most powerful revelations God has given me about sin within me and within you is this. If you don't recognize that with God you are complete and with God you need nothing, it creates holes in your life to which you say that these things need filled because I'm not complete without this. I'm not complete without a man. I'm not complete without a house. I'm not complete without a car. And those three areas or whatever those holes are become areas of temptation. So 
I'm happily married to my wife, Brooke. It'll be 18 years this year. But if I've got a hole in me that says, you know what? I'm not happy. I'm just not satisfied in this marriage. Uh, This wonderful woman that God has given me is not enough. That's a hole in my soul. And the way that sin happens is I've got to have some evil or wicked desire that, that, that what I have is not enough, that God somehow is not being good enough to me and I deserve more. So then what happens is this. Temptation is another woman comes along. And if I'm not complete in God, what temptation does is say, oh, there's something that will fit this hole. And then sin is born. Okay, so the way that we stay away from sin and the way that we keep the enemy out of our lives is to remain whole in God, to say, I lack nothing. I wonder if that's in the Bible. Let's see. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So no man completes you. No woman completes you. No amount of money. No house completes you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because evil Sin comes from evil desires. But if you have no desires outside of God, then you can't sin because I believe that God has given me all that I need. And in his time, he will bless me with greater desires of my heart. He knows the desires are there. Don't you feel those desires? Okay, let's keep going. Finally, he told her that the power she would obtain would be a knowledge that is separate from God, but equal in power. So what he said to her was this. God knows that, um, what did he say? God knows that your eyes will be open and as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the enemy was offering them the chance to be their own God. To say that, you know what, he knows that you're just going to be even more like him and you'll know the difference between good and evil. So then what happened to us, what separated us from God is this. Humanity, we now have the ability to know good and to know evil. All right. We have the ability to have this own knowledge that eating from that tree gave us that's separate from God's knowledge. You see, God, in the beginning, God commanded them and they just obeyed and they trusted that what he was saying was good. But now we don't need God if we don't want God because we've got a wisdom. This is a dangerous tool. Free will is amazing, but it's dangerous as well. We've got a dangerous tool that we can walk by our own knowledge and never consult God. And Christians do it every day, even the one you're looking at. We do what we want to do, and we don't always consult God. And that means that we're tapping into that old wisdom, okay, and not leaning on God for instruction. I'm teaching you how to be led by the Holy Spirit. All right. So we have this thing now in front of us, and the, the word says this. We have to love one or hate the other. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. So we have to choose which God we're going to love. If you love this world, you love the God of this world. The Bible says that if there's a love of this world in us, that we're none of his, that we don't truly love him. And what do do you mean a love of this world? Because the Bible says that all that is in this world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if that's what fuels you, that's what sparks you, that means that you love this world more than you love God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, and remember, we now have the ability to know without God. We have the ability to know things, and that's what that tree, the wisdom from that tree gave us. We have the ability to know things without God. All right, Genesis 4 and 1 said this, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and it says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So this is what happened. So just as Eve, Adam knew or became intimate with Eve and produced something, which was a son, 
our ability to know good or to know evil allows us to have an intimate relationship with God and produce righteousness together or have an intimate relationship with Satan and produce evil together. Our free will, coupled with our knowledge of good and evil, has made us like God, but which one? The God of heaven, the Lord God Jehovah, or the God of this earth, Lucifer? So since we are like God, okay, made in his image, and now we have tapped into, you see, there's a lot of this going on in the world, um, spyware, and viruses have been put on computers and companies are paying millions of dollars to get this spyware removed so they can have their systems back, okay? So that's what the Satan was doing at the very beginning and maybe that's why Apple has a bidden Apple sign, I don't know. But at the very beginning, he gave us a virus and this virus tapped into a a, a power that we should not have, okay? Because we're fallen now. We have the ability to know good or to know evil. Now, remember, Adam knew his wife. So to know is to be intimate with. So if I know good, if I'm intimate with good, then goodness comes. But if I know evil and I am intimate with evil, then evil comes. So if I am intimate and I love the God of this world, I will know evil and through my evil desires and through my basically serving the God of this world and being intimate with him, then evil is produced through me. He takes me over and evil, I become an agent of unrighteousness. However, if you have a relationship with God, if you know God, if you know goodness, then you will have a relationship with God to where you have an intimacy with him and then what is produced from you knowing God will be goodness. Adam knew Eve and a baby was born. If you know good, if you're intimate with God and love God and have a relationship with the God of heaven, good will be born. But if you love this world and if you love the things of this world, this world has a God, a little g, and if you have a relationship with him and do his evil works, then that means that evil will be born. So this lets us know this, that the evil condition of our own human hearts and why it is not trustworthy and we, shall not, we cannot be led by our fallen humanity. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. Holy Spirit, I just pray that the words that I am saying here, God, will be understood by all that hear them, God. May I be able to simplify these truths and revelations that you've given me so that it can empower these hearers, God, and give them the strategies that they need to be triumphant. I thank you for your anointing upon me to give this word and your anointing upon these listeners who you love so much to hear and apply this word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's look at the condition of the human heart and why you should not trust it. Let's go to Genesis chapter six, verses five through six. So men, I don't know how many generations this is. Okay, and I'm sure it's in the Bible. Somebody might know. But after the fall of man, God looked at Noah's generation and had this to say. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. So listen, church. That means that wickedness spread throughout the entire earth. So just as Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply, I I believe that was supposed to be for the multiplication of goodness in the earth. But since they fell and now they had wisdom of evil and long for evil and long for lustful things. Remember I said that if you know good, you'll produce goodness. But if you know evil or you are intimate with evil, then you'll produce wickedness. So this is proof of that. The whole entire world was full of wickedness. Why? Because wickedness is like rabbits. And they make lots of babies. People knew evil. Just like Adam knew and became intimate with Eve and produced a son, when we know the evil thing that we can do, we see we know good and we know evil, but we like evil more. 
Every single one of us separate from God, we like evil more. And because we like evil more, wickedness grows in the earth. Okay, let's look at this now. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. So again, man's knowledge of evil led to intimacy with Satan and produced wickedness in the earth and a great love for evil. Let's look further into the human heart. John 3:19. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but the people liked the darkness more than the light. Does it say they liked the darkness? What's the word there? loved not like darkness but love darkness more than light for their actions were evil so whoever we love or whatever we love is what we will reproduce with all right one more insight into the heart of men jeremiah 17 and 9 says this the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked who really knows how bad it is? So the case I'm building for you right now, um, the, the whole message is to teach you how to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the case I'm building right now is to show you you should never desire to be led by your own heart. Because it is desperately wicked. It wants what is bad separate from God. So do not trust yourself. So there's a conflict then of the soul. So those of us who, that have been born again, there is still a conflict that is happening in our soul. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. It says this, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So we've got two wants, okay? The, the Holy Spirit desires that we do good, but our fallen, our fallen sinful nature wants to do what is wrong. Next sentence. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So what does this mean? The new spirit in you loves God and desires to be intimate with him and produce goodness. But that old rascal, that old nature inside of you, if you power it back up again, if you put down the cross and stop denying yourself, it still wants to reproduce evil in this world by allowing sin to come in us and live out its uh, wickedness within. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. And we're almost done. Almost. Don't get, too, you don't get too happy now. I see you smiling. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. All right. So yesterday um, was a busy day for me. I, um, let's see, men's breakfast in the morning. And then from there, I had to go on to a uh, outreach at the park. Thank you so much for those that came to support that outreach at the park. Had a great time with that. And then after that, immediately, we had a family get-together here in the basement to celebrate some graduations in our family, on top of the fact that yesterday was the third anniversary of my father passing. So I was kind of not looking forward to this family gathering just because it was going to stir up a lot of emotions within me that I didn't really want to deal with, okay? So there was a lot of heaviness on my day yesterday. So after we finished cleaning up and everything, the, the church was empty, everybody had went home. I came over to this uh, pulpit or altar and I did the most spiritual thing that I could think to do. I went down on my knees, okay? And I just began to cast all my cares on him and gave him all, all the weight of my heart. And I don't know when it happened, but I did something so spiritual. I did not begin to pray in tongues. I, not, I did not begin to prophesy. I did not see an angel. There was no shining light. I fell asleep. <laughs> right here on the altar. Bent over with my arms outstretched and the, step, the steps crossed my chest right here. 
So after I woke up, I was like, oh my goodness. My chest hurt so bad right here from leaning. I don't know how long I was there. But the most spiritual thing that I did was fall asleep. Not because I said, let me take a nap right here in a spiritual place. It's because I casted all my cares upon him and he put me to sleep. For some reason, for many years, there's been a great guilt associated with falling asleep when you pray. To make us feel like, oh man, I fell asleep on God. I'm such a terrible prayer. You're like, I must not be that good. Well, there's two things that can happen there. Number one, you're expending so much energy and you're putting God last and you fell asleep while you're talking to him. Or your spirit, hallelujah, your spirit was in such a state that God could not talk to you in that moment. God did not want to conversate with you in that moment. What he wanted for you the most was for you to have, what word is that? Rest. Just rest. Now, I didn't know how sick I was when I needed a kidney transplant until after the transplant because I felt so much better. On the way home from Cleveland, I told my wife, I said, you know what, I can go to work tomorrow, I feel good. You don't know how sick you are sometimes until you feel good. Another thing, church, you don't know how heavy the burdens that you're carrying are until you release them all to God and just fall asleep sometime. Do we understand that? That God's desire for us is to just come to him with all this garbage that we carry? And it's not always garbage. I'm not going to call in our emotions garbage, but sometimes they can get stinky. They can get funky if they're not in his hands, if they're not ordered right. So we've got to begin to learn how to lean on God and trust God and be led by him. So, yes, God led me over here to pray and to fall on my knees and, 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 and consult him and give him my problems. But he knew what he was going to do. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't divinely turn on that screen and say, Damien, I love you, it's going to be okay. But he just put me to sleep to let me know that Damien, I love you, it's going to be okay. To enjoy his rest. So this is one of the first things that you must learn. After I told you how wicked your heart was, now we're moving to the good stuff. <laughs> Not to trust in yourself. Because within yourself, you say, I got this. I can do this. I can carry this. I can bear this load. I know which way to go. I know how to do it. I know how to fix it. God's like, you're going to wear yourself out, kid. Don't do that. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So I think we need to break this down, and then we'll go home, all right? Trust. What is that? I went to Jim's favorite dictionary, all right? Looked up the word trust uh, in a moment, but this is, this is what came to me for. Actually, that's another word I looked up. Trust was given to me by the Spirit. Here's what trust is. To have a loyal confidence in someone. Can you say loyal confidence? So to trust God is to have a loyal confidence. Some of you have confidence in God, but it's not loyal. Because when situations arise, you do all that you can do first, and then you go to God. Just like he spoke to us during worship, Matthew 19, 26. With men or by yourself, it's impossible. What if we just did that first, to admit at first, you know what? I can't do this. It's impossible for just me. But with God, I can do all things. Anxiety goes away. Being your own God and trying to create things goes away. Because he says that we're to trust him with all of our heart. So what else is trust? It's an unbreakable belief and the ability of someone's nature to be consistent. So here's trust in a nutshell, the way the Holy Spirit gave it to me this morning. Trust is to have a loyal confidence in someone. An unbreakable belief and the ability of someone's nature to be consistent. So when we trust God, 
we have a loyal confidence in him. First of all, because he has a track record. He's never failed us. Second of all, because we're going to have an unbreakable belief in his ability to be consistent with his nature. He's a loving God. So no matter what happens to me, no matter what's happening around me, I know that God is always going to be consistent to his nature. He loves me. So even with kidney disease and, 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 and almost dying several times, I'm just going to trust you to the point that I know what you're doing, God. This hurts. This is heavy. Uh, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I trust you. I believe that you are going to be consistent with your nature. So then why did the Lord say that we need to trust him with all of our heart? It's because there's a conflict happening in our soul between the two natures. The sinful nature wants to do what it wants to do. It wants to love this world. But our new nature in Christ desires to love Christ, which means to obey him. So he has to have your whole heart. Why? Because there are pieces of your heart that want to do things your way. There are pieces of your heart that still love this world and the things of this world. So you have to give him your whole heart because unless we give him our whole heart, he doesn't have the ability to do everything he desires to do without competition. So if he's going to lead us, we've got to want to go. You can't be led by somebody that you don't want to follow. So that's why he needs your whole heart so that there is no rebellion and no room for rebellion, okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. So this is where I went to the dictionary for lean. And here's what it means. To incline, to deviate, or bend from a vertical position. I thought, wow, that vertical position really spoke to me. Like to lean is to break out of this vertical position I have with God and lean this way or lean that way or recline back and say, you know what? I got this. God, I know you're smart and all that. You kind of made the world and you're, we're spinning on a ball right now in, in space. But I got this one. Those are the words of a fool. To ever say to God, ah, I got this one. All right? So we don't want to lean to our own understanding because what is our own understanding? That's what I built the sermon on. Our own understanding is the wickedness of our own heart. Our own understanding is the inclination that we have, those pieces of our sinful nature that still desire to love this world. So what he's saying is this. Do not lean on yourself, lean on me. And if you lean on me, I'll let you fall asleep at the altar. If you lean on me, I'll let you sleep soundly through the night, even though your mortgage or your rent is due at 9 a.m. in the morning and you don't have a dollar of it yet, I'm still going to let you sleep. You see, God puts you in situations where you can either lean on yourself and drive yourself crazy and have anxiety, or you can lean on him and fall asleep. Because what is the ultimate position of rest? If you're truly rested, then you're comfortable and you're asleep, and what's happening is a rejuvenation, okay? Some of you go to sleep at night, but when you, when you, when you wake up, you're not rested, you're not rested because you know what? Sleep is not just natural, it's spiritual as well. And you've got to pray, God, now I lay me down to sleep. You know, I pray the Lord my what? We knew it from infants, didn't we? And never made the connection that sleep is not just a, a state of this body, but our soul too. And if you wake up still anxious, still afraid, still worried, it means your soul had no rest. To lean also means to cast one's weight to one side for support. It means to rely for support or inspiration. It means to incline an opinion, taste, or desire. So in order to exhibit righteousness, we must be led by the righteous one in all of our ways. Literally all of our ways. All that we do and all that we hope to do. So it says this. Lean out to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge them. How many ways? 
Our problem is this, and this is proof that we still tap into that wisdom that we got from the tree. We only lean on God for the hard ways. The light ways, we don't consult God. I got this. This ain't too hard. I don't need you, God. But he says, in all thy ways. And I begin to break that down. What kind of ways do I have personally? I'm a father. I've got ways of a father, ways of a husband, ways of an officer, ways of a brother, ways of a pastor. I got all these ways in my life. And he says that I should acknowledge him in all of them. So acknowledge means this, to recognize the rights, authority, or status of. So the power of Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, one of the key words is to acknowledge. So when we acknowledge God, this is what we say. God, I recognize your rights over my life. I recognize your authority, and I recognize your status. Amen? All right, we're going to say this prayer together so you can stand to your feet, and we'll be closing this uh, service very soon. I hope you've learned something today. And the thing that I hope you learned is this. We're learning to be led. So I guess what the Holy Spirit was speaking to us today and teaching us this uh, message about learning to be led is this, that um, we've got some inclinations within us to not be led by him. And you know what that is, church? Rebellion. And you know what rebellion is? Witchcraft. And what witchcraft is? Sin. So we practice witchcraft when we don't lean to God and let him have his way. You see, you've got a way, and then God's got a way. And I wonder which way is more holy. I wonder which way is righteous. Is my way righteous or is his way righteous? His way is righteous. Is my, is his way evil? If, if there's going to be an evil way, is it going to come from God or is it going to come from me? It's going to come from me. Is it going to come from God or is it going to come from you? It's going to come from you. You have the ability to be evil. God does not. So he says that we are to acknowledge him in all of our ways all of our ways. So we need to start asking some questions today. All the things I do, God, which ways are mine and which ways are yours? Some of us have always done some things a particular way and it's time for us to start asking, God, is there any evil in me? Is there any wickedness in me? Because what is wickedness? It is an evil way. So we need to ask God to clean our hearts and renew our spirit that we might follow him alone. Say this, well, first of all, Lord, I pray that those that say this prayer with me would truly mean it. Would they begin to rise up, God, and say, you know what? I reject, I reject the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm going after the tree of life, who is Jesus Christ. And I don't know the way apart from you. The way that I think I know is the way that seems right. And the way that seems right, Lord, leads to death. Would you help me to understand and to fully comprehend that every way I have apart from you is sin, even if it looks good. Because that's what we work with, the wisdom of the knowledge of good and evil. But we, what we must understand is that there is no goodness that is outside of God. I'll say it again. Your best thought on your best day without God is not good. Everything that you can imagine in your heart apart from God is evil only and that's why the world was destroyed. So we need a leader. We need a king. We need a representative that will bring us comfort on earth and Lord you sent him and that is the Holy Spirit. 
So Lord, as we pray this prayer, I pray in Jesus' name that you would overtake us and override us, God, and allow us to share a heart with you so that you have no competition. May we put to death the works of the flesh and the old nature so that we might be fully led, that we might fully trust you, and that we might follow the Holy Spirit in all of our ways. In Jesus' name. All right, I want you to pray this with me. If you believe this and if you desire this, I want you to say this with me, okay? And here's what we're about to do. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. All right, we got that because we've trusted him for our salvation and we trust him for way more than that. So we're good there. Check mark there. Lean not to your own understanding. By faith, we're putting a check mark there and saying, you know what? I just heard a perfect case from the word of God that I can't trust my heart. I can only trust you. So I'm not going to lean to me anymore, God. I'm going to stand upright and follow you. So check mark there. But here's where we need help. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I might have to pick up the paths on next week, but right now we're going to pledge our allegiance of acknowledgement to God. Say this with me. I acknowledge your rights over my life. So not my way, but your way. I acknowledge your authority as the sovereign and supreme Lord of my life. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. Lord, you are my savior and I am the redeemed. You made the way for my salvation. Now that I have acknowledged who you are, Please direct my path as you promised in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for teaching us, God, because this world is getting darker and darker and only the children of the light walk in the light. So would you make it evident to us, God, how you're leading us in these days? The spirit of fear has caused many Christians to run after things that are artificial light, artificial safety, putting our trust in artificial things because men have come up with a way to say your life is in danger and here is the only way for you to live. We do not trust the hearts of wicked men. If we don't trust our own heart, why in the world would we trust the hearts of wicked men and the plans and ways that they devise? So Lord, we repent right now in Jesus' name for putting our trust anywhere except in heaven and the Lord God, Jehovah of heaven. And Lord, our prayer this morning, God, is that we would not trust ourselves, trust our own choices for spouses, trust our own choices for jobs and houses and all these things because you are the God of our lives. There might be a little G-O-D God of this world, but you are the God of our lives. And Lord, we ask that our faith would grow to the point that our trust in you would be unshakable, God. No matter what we see, God, may we be resolved to stand in faith and not move. We only lean when we move out of faith. So may we stand in faith and know that the Lord our God is good and if he is for us then who can be against us it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in chariots it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in money and to trust in wealth and to trust in things so God help us I pray that those of us that are leaning God when we came would stand upright as we leave, that we would be resolved to trust you, lean not to our own understanding, and in every single one of our moments, motions, motivations, that we would acknowledge you. May there be constant acknowledgement that we have a God 
May there be constant acknowledgement that we don't know the way. May there be constant acknowledgement that with men or by ourselves, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. May there be constant acknowledgement that you are the way maker and you are the miracle worker and you are the redeemer and we and of ourselves, we did not save ourselves. We are the redeemed of the Lord and you sent your Holy Spirit for us to follow him into all truth. We repent for going our own way that seemed right. Save us before the death of us comes, God. Save us before sin's wages are paid. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know you as their Savior, God, that they would come and that they would give their lives to Jesus. Eric and Angie, if I can have you come down here, and Jim and Stacy, if you could come down here, please. At the close of our service, if there's anyone that is desiring prayer, uh, they will be standing here um, for, for, to pray for you. So if you want to be saved, they'll pray for you. If you want healing in your body, if there's some family issues, they'll pray for you. And other leaders, uh, if, you, if they get overwhelmed, please just come down and join them here. I praise God for you all coming. I pray that this message, you've gained something from it that you will not lean to your own understanding anymore because your ways are the ways of death. Your ways are the ways of destruction. Your ways, see, we were deceived. The devil was trying to kill us in the garden, not bless us. He was not really trying to give us life. He was trying to give us death. So may you recognize that if you don't acknowledge God, what you're saying is, I choose to die instead. I choose to go my own way that seems right. I choose destruction over you, God. May that rebellious heart be removed in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this service. I also thank you for the offering, God, that we're soon to raise. I thank you that these people, God, they live by faith. And these people understand, God, that giving, God to, giving to God is really just giving back to God. You, we don't give God anything that he didn't give us already. So, Lord, our offering is our way to say, God, I thank you for all that you've provided with me, me with. And I want to be a blessing to the house where I worship and I am taught the word of God. Father, I thank you for a safe week, God, as we depart from this place. Uh, I, I pray a blessing over the Matthew 25 dinner tomorrow. They'll be served at 4 o'clock, God. And I pray that you will bless our Bible study wherever it is on Wednesday. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.